Jesus, thank you. Wow. James chapter 3. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you all. Or bad to see you. No, good to see you. Amen. James chapter 3. Reading from verses 1 through 6 this morning. Give you time to open. You follow as I read. James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we receive the greater condemnation. Two, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Three, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listed. Verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasted great things. Behold how great a matter is, or matter, a little fire kindle it. And verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and set it on fire, the course of nature, and is set, and it is set on fire of hell. Thus saith the Lord. Thank you. We'll be in James chapter 3 this morning, but before we get to James chapter 3, could I ask you to just put a piece of paper there and come over to Psalm 12. Uh, we'll start off in Psalm chapter 12 this morning, and then we'll come over to James chapter 3. Psalm chapter 12. Uh, we'll be talking about the tongue this morning, as you've seen from our scripture reading in James chapter 3. We'll be talking about the tongue. And James will describe the tongue as a little member. He calls it a little member, but oh, how it causes a lot of big problems. I wonder if you've ever felt the sting of a tongue. You know what I mean? Someone says something and it hurts. I wonder if you've ever, ever felt the sting of a tongue. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe your mom said something and it was hurtful. Or maybe a classmate said something that was hurtful. I venture to guess that probably every single one of us at some point has said something that has hurt someone else. The tongue is a little member, and yet it has a big problem. You should be there in Psalm chapter 12, and I'd like to read together. I will make note of a few things in this chapter. Psalm chapter 12 and verse number 1. Help, Lord, help. For the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful 
fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. I hope you hear the contrast of what's going on with words in this chapter. The words of men tend towards flattery. Did you see in verse 1 he made the statement, Help, Lord, for godly men cease. I hope that for just a moment you can let that sink in. When godly men close their mouths, society suffers. When godly men close their mouths, when we don't speak up for what is right, society suffers. But instead, you saw in verse 2, they, men, speak vanity with their neighbor and with flattering lips they speak and their heart is double-hearted. In other words, with flattery, they say one thing, but really they have a whole different thought going on in their mind. Oh, we see this in our society. Uh, just this week, I, I'm in a WhatsApp group with a member of parliament. He's a friend of mine. We've been friends for a long time. He added me to his WhatsApp group. And I'm sure that some of you would be in similar situations. He posted a picture of himself in a meeting, which was nice for him to do. It lets us know what he's doing. But for the next several hours, all of the comments that came from it, you powerful to us, big man, next prime minister, action member, all of the comments that came from it made me hit mute. Why in the world are they saying all of these things? It's not his fault that they're saying it. It's the people who are with flattery. Oh, we love you. Why? Because they're hoping that he'll give them some kind of projects. Oh, come on. Speak truth, brothers and sisters. Speak truth. When godly men cease speaking, society suffers. And ungodly men with flattery will speak. Speak truth, brethren. Oh, church, let us be marked as men and women of God who will speak truth in love. Don't look for ways to just say, oh, this is the truth and I just dropped you a truth bomb. No, 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 no. Speak truth in love. There's a right way to speak. There's a loving way to speak. There are truthful things to speak. But if all you're doing is speaking flattery, you're acting with double-heartedness. And society suffers because of it. And then out of this, we see the contrast. Oh, the words of the Lord are pure words. 
like silver tried seven times in a furnace. The words of God are magnificent, oh, so much more valuable than those throwaway vanity words that man has with his double-heartedness. And with this thought, we come into the book of James. I'd like for you to look at James chapter 3 with me. We'll be there. I'll read in just a moment. James is going to summarize the fact that we have a problem with our speech. I might say it a couple of different ways. With our speech, with our mouth. Uh, James is going to use the word tongue to summarize. Tongue. Your tongue is a small member and it can get you in a lot of trouble. Remember that James writes this epistle, five chapters. He writes it to believers who are scattered abroad. These are brothers and sisters that were a part of his church. He had pastored them. He is the brother of Jesus. He had pastored these friends, and now they're scattered abroad, and he cares about their souls. He doesn't tell us in his book, he doesn't tell us anything about how to get saved, but instead he repeatedly tells us to examine our faith. He does it ten different ways, and today we'll be on our fifth one. Examine your faith, and one of the ways that you can examine your faith is you can examine what is it that comes out of my mouth. I I might use Paul's words, are you speaking the truth in love? Do you care about the brothers and sisters that hear the words that come out of your mouth? Are you speaking the truth? And are you speaking it in a way that's going to be edifying for the body? In a way that's going to be lifting up others that are in Christ? Now, if you're just lifting them up for your own personal gain, that's flattery and and that's sinful. Do away with that type of speech. But if you are speaking the truth in love for the edification of the brethren, then there's a really good chance that you are a true believer. We've put these as questions as we've looked at each section, and maybe the question that James might be asking today is, what does your speech say about what's going on in your heart? What does your speech say about what's going on in your heart? Or another way to say it would be this. A true believer should be able to control his tongue. A true believer should be able to control his tongue. Read with me James chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 and 2. I see them as introductory to this passage. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. By the time you come into verse 2, you definitely see that he's talking about the tongue, and he will stay on that topic all the way until verse 12. Verse 1 almost seems like it's a little bit disjointed from the rest of the passage. However, I submit that it is not disjointed at all. James isn't wasting words, and he doesn't just slip a separate idea in in verse 1. He made a strong caution in verse 1, and I'll do my best to help you see how it's connected to the rest of the passage. He makes this statement in verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, teachers, pastors, leaders. Be not many masters. The word masters here is the same word used in the Gospels over 40 times to refer to Jesus. Many people came to Jesus and said, Master. They referred to him as the teacher. And here James, using the very same word, he says, Don't seek quickly to become a 
leader, a teacher. Why? Because those who are teachers are held at a higher standard than the rest of us. That's the word that he uses in verse number one. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You're held to a greater standard, a higher standard if you're a teacher. Why? Because the teacher stands and says, thus saith the Lord. I hope that you're hearing me proclaim the word of God this morning. And I should be living up to the words that I preach. I, as the teacher, should be held to a higher standard. And so he says, be careful. And you strive for that position. Know that you're going to be held to a greater, stronger judgment. It doesn't, his words in chapter 3 and verse 1 should not steer you away from a 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. But remember that if you desire that office, remember that it comes with a greater condemnation. Uh, He makes another statement, the Apostle Paul makes another statement. Those elders that fall in sin rebuke them publicly. And so if a church member were to fall and sin, we do our best to restore them. And if their sin has been private, we restore them privately. And yet a pastor that falls in sin, we rebuke him publicly. Why? Because he stood in front of people and with his tongue, he has said, this is the way you're supposed to live. Therefore, he is held to a greater condemnation. And why do I say that that's connected is because the rest of this talks about our tongue and what it is we do with our tongue. And how is it that a teacher leads? A teacher leads with his words. And we come into verse number two, and he's going to give us a steer into the way that we as Christians should be thinking. You see, a true believer should be able to control his tongue. Verse two, if in many things we offend all. Oh, how true that is. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. I hope that that would be a great aspiration, something for all of us to grasp at. I want to be able to keep my body in subjection. I want to have control over my body, And therefore, in order to keep control over my body, James tells me, let me start off with keeping control over my tongue. For if you can control your tongue, he says in verse 2, if you can control your tongue, you can certainly control the rest of your body. The whole body. He uses that phrase at the end of verse 2. If you're able to control your word, then you are also able to bridle the whole body. And that kind of kicks off the ideas that I have in the rest of the passage. The very first one is in verse 3. I'll say it this way. The little tongue holds great potential. The little tongue holds great potential. Let me show it to you in verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. You saw whole body in verse 2, and now whole body again in verse 3. We put bits, he says, we put bits in the horse's mouth, and with that, we are able to turn the whole body of a horse. Now, we here in Port Moresby are kind of devoid of horsemanship. I don't think we have very many horses around. I've seen a few up at Sugary. If you've got horses here in Port Moresby, I want you to come and tell me. I'd love to go for a ride on your horse, all right? (laughs) 
Uh, and so we don't really have a context within our setting for using horses. I will say this, uh, for almost as long as mankind has been in creation, almost as long as we've been around, we've been controlling horses. Historically, there's archaeological evidence that all the way back, uh, almost 6,000 years ago, archaeological evidence of mankind leading horses. And an interesting thing, tie in here with James chapter 3, the interesting thing is the way that we know that man domesticated horses that long ago is because in the archaeological, uh, archaeological fossils you can see the horse's skull and you can see the wearing of a bit against its teeth. And so here in a fossil, fossilized skull of a horse is bit marks on his teeth. The bit, because most of us don't know what a bit is and how a bit works, a bit is about that long, and it's about as big around as a man's pinky. Just a little piece of iron, and maybe in the old days, maybe they would use a piece of wood, and they lay that inside of the horse's mouth. Now, in a horse's mouth, you can recognize a horse's head is long. The horse has a lot of teeth at the back of his jaw, and he's got some cutting teeth at the front of his jaw, and in between, he has a large gap that goes right through where there are no teeth, just gums. And you can lay that bit across inside of his mouth, across the gums, and when you put that in and you tie a bridle to it, say a rope on one side and a rope on the other side, you are able to steer the horse's head. And where you steer the horse's head is where his body will go. And so get the horse under control. You put a bridle on his head and a bit inside of his mouth. And when you pull on the one side, it puts a little pressure on his gums and he comes this way. You put a little pressure on this side and he goes this way. And now you know how a cowboy works. He jumps on the back and it's the bit that's inside the horse's mouth that he controls that horse with. James said, you can put a bit inside of a horse's mouth and with the bit, one little thing you can control the whole body. He's going to give us another example in verse number four. He's going to give an example of a ship which I think we're much more familiar with. Verse number four. Behold also the ships which, though they be great, they are so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. You and I here in Port Moresby would be much more f familiar with ships. We see ships coming and going. Uh, many of you would be fishermen and would understand what it's like to jump in a dinghy. And the idea here is that you can have a giant ship on the sea, tossed in the waves with fierce winds, and you still steer that ship with a, and the, his word here is a little helm. Now today, if you use the term helm in, ship, in, in, in the marine industry, the helm on a ship today is what we would know as the steering wheel. It's the big, that's the wheel. Those didn't come along in history. The wheel didn't come along until about the 1700s. Uh, in his day, when he's referring to the helm, the helm that today we call the steering wheel it is tied directly to what they called the helm at that time, and that's the rudder at the back. 
And the rudder at the back in that day was controlled by a long oar, we could call it an oar, a long stick that was attached to the rudder. The rudder is under the ship, and the helmsman would hold that stick and steer the ship using that. We have a very similar context of this with the 40 horse on a dinghy. So you see the skipper on the 40 horse grabs a hold of the dinghy. He needs to turn the dinghy. He does it by steering. Very same idea. And so you can imagine, even till today, giant ships with the advancements of technology that you and I have in 2023 being steered by a rudder. One little thing controls the whole thing. Example is a horse, one little thing, moves the whole body. Verse number four, the one little thing, a helm, steers the whole ship. And so now, even so is your tongue, verse five. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Your little tongue holds great potential, brothers and sisters, has great potential. Now, we, we will see the negatives in just a moment, but I want you to remember your tongue has the ability to do great things. Here's the words of Solomon in Proverbs 18 and verse 21. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Keep in mind, brothers and sisters, you have the ability Your little tongue holds great potential. Your little tongue, with that tongue, you have the ability to bring life to someone. Encouraging words to uplift someone. But oh, how easy it is with our tongue instead to cut down someone and hurt someone at the soul level. You have the power of life and you have the power of death in your tongue. James is going to go for the power of death. See verse 5 brings us to the second point. Let me read verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. That brings me to the second thing is this. The tongue, the tongue's little fire can burn everything around. The tongue's little fire can burn everything around. Do you hear the words there in verse 5? How great a matter a little fire kindleth. Without a doubt, Miss Katie, I don't know, Miss Katie's sitting over here, plays the piano. Miss Katie's from Hawaii, and if you've been paying attention to international news over the last week, perhaps the largest fire tragedy in U.S. history occurred this last week in the island of Maui in Hawaii. They estimate that perhaps as many as a thousand people have died in that fire. The fire rushed through a town so fast that the people were not able to escape. So far, they've confirmed 111 people are dead. There's a thousand people missing. They've only been able to identify six bodies. We're talking about fire that was so hot it melted cars. There's one very famous picture, it's not hard to find in the news, where there was a whole section of the highway, vehicles were stuck in traffic, and the fire came faster than the cars could get out of traffic. 
and the people survived by jumping out of their cars, leaving the cars where they were, and they jumped into the sea and survived by being in the ocean as the fire passed by. It's not for certain how that fire started, but there is a good guess right now that perhaps a broken power line, a power line snapped, and it's guessed that that broken power line came down and hit some dry brush, and that the perfect storm wind conditions caused that fire to kick up, and in just about eight hours from the time it started, one whole city, definitely the worst natural disaster in, in Hawaii's history. Oh, how great, James's words, oh, how great a matter a little fire kindles. Now listen to the words that he writes in verse number six. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Brothers and sisters, I hope you heard the words at the beginning of the sermon. A true believer should be able to control his tongue. And James reminds us, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. You say, what's going on there? A world of iniquity. You're getting a chance with the tongue to see into the wicked soul of a person. Have you ever heard somebody talk, and when they talked, you thought, oh my goodness, there's a lot of wickedness in that person. That ought not be that way for believers. Oh, how great a matter that the little tongue can cause the little fire that can then spread and become a giant inferno, so also is the tongue. In the end of verse 6, he says, so is the tongue among all our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Your tongue is a little fire and it will cause a big inferno to come along. And keep in mind that while that world of iniquity is coming from your heart, you've not bridled your tongue as your tongue sets to fire. Here's a little fire. Just remember that Satan's doing his best to come along and fan that. Oh, he loves to cause dissension among the brethren. A true believer should be able to control his own tongue. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 34 and verse 35. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Your small member holds a lot of potential. That little tongue can destroy a whole lot. If you can control that little member, you can control your whole body, but you don't control that little member, it's going to burn everything in its path. Oh, we have a lot of potential in our tongues, brethren. What's in your heart, Jesus said, will come out of your mouth. And what will come out? A whole world of iniquity. And what will happen when it comes out? You see the end of verse 6? It sets on fire the course of of nature. In other words, the circle of life. Everything will be affected. 
the course of nature, your entire life will be disrupted because of what comes out of your mouth. And, and let's just be open and honest this morning, brethren. Every single one of us is human. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, the day will come when you slip up with your mouth. So don't hear me saying a Christian, a true Christian, will never slip up and say something wrong. Oh, no. Because there's times when you'll say something. I don't know if you do this. I do. When you say something and when it comes out, as soon as it comes out, you go, wait, I didn't mean it for it to come out that way. That wasn't me. Or maybe, maybe in a moment of anger and you've allowed anger to take over your heart and maybe in that moment of anger you say something and as soon as it comes out you go, oh no, that wasn't right. The Holy Spirit of God does His convicting work in your heart and all of a sudden you realize, I've just done something I shouldn't have done. What do you do with it in that moment? Don't double down. Don't double down. You know what I mean by that? You just set a fire ablaze. Don't double down. You know what double down is? Go set another one over here. I, I meant it. That's doubling down. No, you know what you need to do? You need to take the balm of Gilead. You need to take everything that you can from God Almighty. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God, I didn't mean to say it that way. Or maybe I did mean to say it and it was wrong for me to say it. God, I need your help to clean up this mess. And then don't just go to God with it. You've offended your brother. Go to your brother and make it right with your brother. Oh, friend, I am so sorry for what I said. Listen, I don't want you to all hear me as your pastor say, I've got it together because a lot of you that have been close enough to me have received it from me too. But I hope that I've modeled it for you. I hope that you've seen it. If I've offended you in word, I hope that you've seen me circle back around and come back. And if I haven't, I want you to have the freedom to come and say something to me. Because we as brothers and sisters in Christ should be careful with what we say. And when we offend the one who has offended us, what should we do? Oh, just remember the words of James chapter 2. I'm going to be quick to hear. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm going to be slow to wrath. I'm going to give opportunity for renewal. I want to make things right. And I hope that, brothers and sisters, I hope that your heart is inclined that if you do make a mistake with your mouth, that you admit it, yes, this was sinful, and I need to come back and make this right. And can I encourage you? Give some very key people open doors to be able to speak into your life. My wife has free reign to speak into my life. Brother Eric has free reign to speak into my life. My dad has free reign. I have openly told them. Brother Phil, when he was here, and, and I loved the fact that Phil did not have any problem, pull me off to the side and with tears at times, say, I think you said this, but you meant that. And in moments of open-hearted love, correction. I've had times when Brother Eric has pulled me off to the side and he said, you said this and I think that somebody else understood it this way. I think you need to go and make that right with that brother. I had no idea. It's helpful to have brothers and sisters in your life that can speak into your life. Our natural, natural tendency, friend, is to say, 
I've got this thing figured out. My natural tendency is to say, no, I don't need somebody to tell me what's right and what's wrong. But the truth of the matter is, out of the mouth the heart speaks, and my heart is desperately wicked. I can't even know my own heart, and so I need somebody to speak into my life. It would be good for us. In honor, preferring one another, looking for ways to build up one another. Remember, your tongue has great potential, and if you don't use it right, you burn everything down. Oh, the depths that this fire will go to. Look at the end of verse number 6. It sets on fire the course of nature. Your whole life is going to get wrecked because of this fire. Well, where did that fire come from? And it is set on fire of hell. We know the word hell. Those believers in that day, they would have recognized this word Gehenna. James is writing from Jerusalem. The word that he used there is Gehenna. We use that same word for our word hell today. And for them, the people that lived in Jerusalem, Gehenna was the city dump. It was the place just outside the city where they put their rubbish and there was constant fires and smoke there. And for James to say to the brethren, the stuff that's coming out of your mouth that you're burning everybody with, it might as well be just coming out of the dump. You're just pulling that stuff out and you're just letting that fire just kind of go out. And that fire is spreading out and it's causing problems and Satan's fanning those flames. And the next thing you know, you've scorched the earth all around you. Oh, let us stay away from Gehenna, friend. Let us guard our mouths. For a true believer should be able to control his tongue. That brings me to the third point. The third one is this. A, the tongue's unruly evil can poison others. The tongue's unruly evil can poison others. Let's read verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast, of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea, is tamed. Hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So every kind of animal has been tamed. And I can just imagine you're sitting there and you're going, but sharks, they haven't been tamed yet. Uh, come on, don't give James a hard time. He's making a point here. All the different kinds of animals. So he says beasts, and you can just think, we started with horses and dogs and They've even tamed tigers and lions and made bears dance to songs. And you can tame all kinds of animals. Uh, you can think of uh, uh, fish as well, as, or say birds. He says beasts and birds. Uh, the birds, I think of parrots and crows. Uh, they've tamed all sorts of birds. People buy them and put them in little cages so they can sing. What a sad picture. Uh, and then there's serpents, he says, and people have got pet lizards, and as crazy as some people are, they even have pet snakes, even things of the sea. People have pet goldfish, and they've trained dolphins to do tricks, and they've even got whales, as awful as that is. All these different animals can be tamed, and yet in verse 8, the tongue can no man tame. And you say, Why, how does he, what does he mean by that? Yet you try your best to go next door and tame your neighbor's tongue. Excuse me, sir? That tongue needs to be tamed. Good luck on that. 
The tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison. The Apostle Paul described it in Romans 3 and verse 13. He described the mouth of an unbeliever like this. Their throat is an open sepulcher. The mouth of an unbeliever is an open sepulcher. In other words, a hole that is intended to bury a dead body, and it's open, and we could even say, with all of the filthiness that is involved, a dead body is rotting at the bottom of that, and they just never filled it back in. That's what the mouth of an unbeliever is like. And with their tongues, they use deceit, the poison of asps, serpents is under their lips the mouth of an unbeliever is that way i hope that as believers brothers and sisters your mouth is not that way your tongue can be so poisonous to others several verses that help us to see how wicked the tongue can be here's proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 and 17 these six things does the lord hate and seven of them are an abomination so here are things that god absolutely hates and one of them has to do with your tongue He hates a proud look and a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and run into mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Interesting that three of those have to do with what you say. A lying tongue, someone who's going to bear false witness, and uh, one that sows discord among the brethren. Oh, this is what I saw him do. I heard her say that and causes discord among the brethren. Oh, friend, be careful with what you say. Your tongue can be evil, unruly, poisonous. Psalm 52 and verse 1. What, uh, why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Thy tongue devises mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. That's why I asked the question at the beginning of the sermon, have you ever been cut by a tongue? Your tongue can be like a razor. In another place in Psalm 57, David describes the tongue as a sharp sword. Oh, our tongue has the potential to hurt and cut. And yet, your tongue does not have to be this way. Your tongue was made for something more. Remember that when our Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, He died so that He could make us more like Him. When you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, He saves your soul and He saves your body so that our bodies should be turned over to Him for His use, and that includes our tongues. There's a way that you and I should speak, and there's a way that you and I should act with our tongues that should be a reflection of our Lord. So here's a couple of ideas for that. Psalm 119 and verse 171. My lips shall utter praise. What am I going to do with my mouth? I'm going to utter praise to Him. When Thou hast taught me Thy statutes... My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Proverbs 15 and verse 4, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Don't let your tongue be used by the devil as asp, poison, 
Don't let your tongue be that way, but instead use your tongue as a tree of life. Inject life into the lives of brethren. Proverbs 21, verse 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Proverbs 16, and verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answers of the tongue is from the Lord. Another place. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, my Redeemer. The one who changed my life has changed my heart, and my mouth should be a reflection of that change. Do you see the words here in this verse? The words, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue. You see, it starts in the heart and it comes out of the mouth. What's going on in your heart will be reflected in your speech. And so don't hear me saying, well, you need to change the way you talk. Instead, hear me saying, what you say is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. You might need a change in your heart. These are the words that James is saying. Overarchingly, he's saying these words today. He's saying, if you're a true believer, you'll know it because of what you're saying with your mouth. You see, for, from the mouth, the heart's speaking. We have a few more verses I'd like to share with you. This is Psalm 34 and verse 13. The book of Psalms gives us a challenge. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Keep your tongue from evil. I, I hope as a believer this morning that you're working on controlling what you say. Proverbs 12 and verse 19, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Do you realize? Kind of coming off of the bad things we say into the idea of lying with your mouth, but did you realize what he said in the book of Proverbs? That if you tell a lie... That lie only lasts for a moment, and you'll have to get another lie to cover up that lie, and then you've got to go get another lie to cover up this lie, and before it's over with, you've forgotten which lies are there. But the word of truth is just established forever. <laughs> tell the truth, and you never have to make up anything to fix that. Just tell the truth. Number four, and we'll come back to James chapter three. The tongue's fruit will reveal any hypocrisy of the heart. The tongue's fruit will reveal any hypocrisy of the heart. Read verse number 9 with me. Therefore, bless we God. Uh, sorry, therewith. Therewith, bless we God. With your mouth, you bless God, even the Father. And therewith, curse we men with our mouth, which are made after the similitude of God. In other words, with the very same mouth, I say, oh, bless you, God, and creator of all things, almighty one of heaven, bless you. And I look at man who is a creation in the image of God and I say, curse you. He goes, wait a second, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. You can't with the same mouth bless God and curse his image. You can't do that. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. He just went straight to the point. You said, bless you, Father, and curse his creation. Blessing and cursing coming from the same mouth, it not, ought not to be that way. 
here, here's Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I want my words to be pleasing to God. I want him to see that what's going on in my heart is coming out in my mouth and that he's being magnified with it. I want the people that are around me to see that he is my creator and he is worthy of all my praise. I don't want them to stand aside just in case they might get burned with my tongue or cut with my tongue. I don't want them to dash aside to the, uh, out of the way of what might be coming out of my mouth. Instead, I want them to join in with me in praise of my heavenly Father. So there should be no space in my vocabulary. There should be no space for gossip. There should be no space for me to cut down with my words. And there should be no space for me to belittle someone. You see, church, hear me well. Your words are an indicator of what's going on in your heart. Your words are an indicator of what's going on in your soul. Your tongue is a fire. Your tongue is a wild animal, unable to be tamed. Your tongue is steering your entire life. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that some of us are just letting that happen. Be careful with what you say. Look for ways to use your words to edify the body. Lift up the body, not edify yourself. When you edify yourself, you're making yourself into an idol. But when you edify the body of Christ, you're worshiping God who made the body. Don't clear burn massive acres around you. Don't let your tongue be a wild tiger that's going to rip people up. Your tongue shouldn't be a razor and a sharp sword. I hope that you don't rejoice when you belittle someone. You've heard it that way? You know what you did? You cut him to pieces with your words. It ought not to be that way. You and I, brethren, sisters, we should be using our tongues to magnify our Heavenly Father. Not going two ways. It should be a singleness of our heart. I want the words of my mouth to be acceptable to the Heavenly Father. Now he's going to give us two examples to help us cement this idea. That your mouth should be only producing one type of fruit. There's two examples. He gives us the example of water and the example of fruit. So see them in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? You don't go to a mountain spring to fill up your water bottle and think, I wonder what kind of water it's going to be today. You don't do that. You come to the mountain spring because you've been there before and you enjoy that water. And you put your water bottle into that spring and you drink deeply and you go for a second time and you drink deeply again even though your belly is swelled full. I've done this. You go back a third time and fill it up. You're going to carry that one home. Because the water that comes from that mountain spring is sweet. If you couldn't trust that mountain spring, you would never go back. You don't come to it one time and say, oh, wow, this is really sweet. And the next time, ooh, I think there's some nastiness in there. I'll try again. You don't do that. You find nastiness in the spring once. You're done with it. You don't come back to it. Several years ago, we drilled a well up on the hillside. Missionary Jason Russell came. He had a drill. 
that he was getting ready to take out to Daru. And he brought that drill up here, very nice drill rig. It was the first one that they'd done with. And we drilled down, I want to say something like 140 meters up here on the hillside. We drilled and drilled and drilled, and it took days and days. And we went through rock after rock. And there were days when I just looked at it and I said, Jason, just hang it up and forget about it. We're done. This is never going to work. And finally, he hit water. And I said, hallelujah, we hit water. We bought a pump. We went and paid a lot of money for that pump. And we put the pump down inside the well. He had cased it, done it up all so nice. He's gone away now. We've got a pump down in there. And he told me this is the way you do it. You choke down the flow so that it's always pumping. And it's just going to be constant. It's going to provide about five liters a minute, which is not a whole lot. But if over a day, there's a lot of minutes in a day. And I thought to myself, we're going to hook this up and we're going to have good, fresh water for our campus because, my goodness, it's so hard to get water out here. Special thanks, Paul, Donovan, and Kira. Thank you. And we're trying to get water out of the ground. And would you believe every day I would go to that pump? And that pump was just pumping out. It was just pumping out water out and it's just pouring it out on the ground. And on day one, I went to it, and I looked at it, and I thought to myself, it's a little bit yellow. Maybe it needs a few days to clear up. So I let that pump for a while. I talked to Jason. He said, yeah, sometimes there's maybe some mud and things down in the well that got there when we drilled. He said, give it a couple of days to clear up. And after a few days, I, I, I looked at it again. And I said, you know, I think it's less yellow today. But... It was less yellow, so I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to taste it. I won't swallow it. I'll just taste it. And I got down on one knee next to this pipe and put it in my mouth. Now, don't ask me why I know this. It tasted like blood. I went, <laughs> that was disgusting. Don't ask me why I know that. I said, that was disgusting. And I thought, leave it. We're going to let it run for a couple more days. And every day I would go by and I'd look at it. I don't know. And after about two weeks, I'd still come to it. That water's still coming out. Five liters a minute. We, we tried hooking it up and, and using it to water the plants. The plants died. <laughs> After about four weeks, I thought to myself, I'm just going to try and taste it every day. Maybe it's going to change. And every day I came and tasted that well water every day. Disgusting. Nasty. It was awful. Salty. Terrible water. You know what I ended up doing? I pulled that pump up out of that well, and I cemented over that well. <laughs> that nasty thing, worthless well, all the work that went into it. You know why? Because when the well is bad, there's no hope. You're not going to change. You don't come to a spring, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. It's either good or it's bad. And it didn't matter how many weeks in a row I ran that water and tried to get the, good, the bad water out. It just kept filling back up with bad water. And James makes the point here. You go to a spring, it's either good or it's bad. And then he's going to give us another one. And you might know this one well, verses 12, verse number 12. This has to do with agriculture. Uh, can the fig, leaf, a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Duh, no. That's the answer. He was asking us a stupid question so that you didn't even have to think about it. Does a fig tree give you olive berries? Uh, how about a vine? Does it give figs? Of course not. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? It doesn't work. You don't get both salt water and fresh water from a fountain. You don't get 
figs off of a vine. Figs come from a fig tree. And the fig tree doesn't give olive berries. We all know that. Now, he didn't just help us with an agriculture lesson. That was there for a point. And the point was, your mouth should be changed because of what God's done in your heart. And now there should be a difference in what's coming out of your mouth. And, and there shouldn't be one day where you're blessing and he, up to heavenly praises and, and singing, Jesus, thank you, and then walking out and cursing your kids and cursing your neighbor and cursing your coworkers. No, that shouldn't be happening. And then come back to church on Sunday and bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh no, 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 no. No, either it's right or it's wrong. And if you find that your mouth is wrong... There's a need for God to do some cleaning in the heart. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't run away from his correction. You see, for every true believer should be able to control his tongue. I'm going to close with this thought. We haven't been at this passage all throughout this, but as I meditated on this passage during the week, I couldn't help but think of the day of Pentecost and the apostles in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Now, I've not referred to the speaking in tongues. I have talked about the tongue, but I've not referred to speaking in tongues. I will say this before I tell you what my meditation is. God used speaking in tongues for a season, for a purpose. That purpose was entirely so that Jewish people would see that God was saving people. That was the reason for the speaking of tongues. That season has passed. It was always a known language. There was always an interpreter. Those things are facts from the Bible. I don't have time to develop them and show them all to you. We'll save that for another day. Those who claim to be speaking in tongues today are just speaking in gibberish. All right? I'll leave that to the side. And I just needed to say it because as I talk about Acts chapter 2, you're going to be thinking the word tongue. So I think of Acts chapter 2, and here are the apostles in the upper room with the ladies. There's about 120 of them in that upper room, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. There's the promise from the Lord Jesus. Jesus told them, I'm going to the Father, and I will not leave you comfortless. I will send the Comforter to be with you, and you will go to that room, and you will wait for the promise of the Father. That's his words in Acts chapter 1. They went to that upper room and they waited. Somewhere around seven, eight, nine days, something like that, they were in that upper room and they were waiting. I can just imagine what that wait would have been like. The 120 of them in an upper room, I'm sure somebody from time to time had to go and get some food and bring it. I'm sure that they needed to go and use the bathroom somewhere and come back, but largely they waited in that room, 120 of them. I'm sure that there was discussion as they talked amongst themselves of the things that they had seen of Jesus just in the previous weeks. How he had died on the cross and how he'd been buried and how he'd been raised again from the dead. And I'm sure that during that time, they prayed. But they have no idea on what day will the Holy Spirit come. And they have no idea how much longer are we going to wait. Are we going to wait for, is it, will it be another day or will it be another month or a year? Or how long are we going to be here in this upper room? We don't know, but they patiently waited. And I can just imagine on the moment when the Holy Spirit came, what that must have been like. As they in that room, I don't know, they're talking or they're praying, but the Bible says that the first indication was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a wind, it was a sound of a wind. 
And that mighty Russian wind sound came through that upper room, and I can just imagine that got everybody's attention. Because they're sitting there maybe praying, maybe talking, and in this moment, if there was a sound of a mighty Russian wind, we would all stop what we're doing and start looking around. What's going on? What's going on? And perhaps it, maybe it clicked in their mind, this is the moment, the promise of the Father. And then following after the mighty rushing wind, and I see a parallel between this and Elijah. If you remember Elijah on the run, and he's in that cave, and there was the mighty wind, and then there was the mighty fire, and then God came to him in a still small voice. I, I see a parallel between these two. And I think that probably the apostles recognized it immediately as well. So the sound of mighty rushing wind, and now the apostles stop, and they're looking at each other, and then above all of those believing apostles appeared, the Bible says, cloven tongues of fire. Cloven, it means it, there's, it's, a, it's split. Tongues is just like a little fire. Cloven tongues as a fire, and it's as if every one of those believers had a little flame of fire above their head. They're not going to burn their hair, but there's this, and you can just imagine this pause in the room as they're looking at each other. Bing, 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 bing. As the Holy Spirit is coming upon them, oh, be thrilled with the fact that the moment you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you and your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. Those guys had to go through that transition. They hadn't been there yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. Now today he has. I'm so thankful for that. But in that moment, I can just imagine as they look across the room and there's cloven tongues of fire upon everyone. I don't know if there was an unbeliever among them. It would have been obvious if there was. No fire. <laughs> I can just imagine Peter's like, hey, you, we need to talk. <laughs> Indwelt by the Holy Spirit now. And the evidence is cloven tongues of fire. And then there's one more evidence that came. I don't know if you remember this. Before they went outside to the temple and before Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved, while they were in the upper room, the Bible says they began to speak with other tongues. Now listen closely, and I don't want to hyper-spiritualize this, but I want you to hear this. Isn't it interesting that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it changed how they spoke? Did you hear me say that? Isn't it interesting how when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it changed how they spoke? Do you remember what Peter's problems were? Dude couldn't shut up. Said stuff that caused Jesus to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Going forward, Peter magnifies Jesus. Going forward, the apostles are pointing people to the Lord Jesus. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, brothers and sisters, when you get saved, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and there should be a change in the way you talk. A true believer should be able to control his tongue. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take the words that we've heard this morning. I pray that we would look for ways to make things right with those whom we've offended with our tongues. I pray that we would be careful with what we say. We would not shy away from speaking the truth in love, for society suffers when godly men shut their mouths. 
Lord, I pray that we would speak truth in love for the edification of the body, that we would lift up brothers and sisters, that we would not tear down, that we would not bless God with one side of our mouth and curse His image bearers with the other side. Lord, I pray that we would love the brotherhood. I pray, Lord, that we would be careful with what we say, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Lord, I pray that we would bridle our tongues so that we can more perfectly control our whole body. For it's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen. The Lord bless you, church. Love you.